Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night, and it's time for the happiest hour on the internet, friends and fiction. We are so looking forward to spending this evening with all of you, just the four of us, like old times. So let's get started. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And I'm Kristen Harbell. (laughs) And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors who sort of know their names and (laughs) stories to support authors, librarians, and independent bookstores. Tonight, the four of us are going to be um, giving you a special treat because we are going to be talking about the 10th anniversary edition of Kristen's The Sweetness of Forgetting. Um, We're going to be telling you a little bit about Mary Kay's paperback release for The Santa Suit. And you might have heard that all four of us have upcoming releases next year. So we're leaving plenty of time for your questions about um, our books or absolutely anything that you want to ask. As you know, we're a pretty open book. So feel free to drop them in the comments section on Facebook and YouTube, and we'll be answering them later on in the show. But before we begin, we have such fun news. So you know about our Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, which is a separate page from our Friends in Fiction page. They're always reading fun books and doing fun things like their upcoming happy hour with our amazing podcast host and librarian Ron Block, our dear friend Ron Block, on October 13th. But guess what, you guys? They have been nominated for a Zibby Award for the Best Virtual Book Club. So many of you know and follow our friend, podcast host and author Zibby Owens, and we are so proud of them and so excited for being nominated for this um, this really wonderful award. So Lisa and Brenda will be attending the Zibby Awards ceremony in New York in just a few weeks, and it's safe to say that we will all be toasting them. So Lisa and Brenda, thank you for all you do. We love you. Cheers. It's cheers, y'all. And it's so exciting because neither one of them, of our PB&Js, have ever been to New York. Isn't that awesome? This is a PB&J Take New York trip. I can't wait to see pictures. I know. And have all of you seen our fall schedule for Wednesday nights? It's always under announcements, but all 93,000 of you (laughs) and counting, it might be 94 by the end of the night. Next week, we have two guests. We will be talking with Veronica Roth about her new novel, Poster Girl. And Gabrielle Zevin will be joining us about her blockbuster, Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. And do you know about our reading challenge headed up by Anissa Armstrong? who We want to thank for keeping this challenge going strong for 10 months now. We are reading a category of book all together all year long and recommend recording it in our Friends and Fiction Reading Journal, which is available for Oxford Exchange. This month, we're reading a book that features family secrets. Ooh. 
And that is a really wide open category. And Issa has a ton of great recommendations on our Facebook page, and so do we. Now, I myself am recommending Lisa Unger's Confessions on the 745. Ooh, good one. Yeah, we had her on the show. We're gonna. She'll That's be back. A good one. On, yeah, she'll be back on. Mm -hmm. I think in November. So, uh, what do you ladies are recommending? What are you reading? So, there's this book that comes out in paperback next week called The Santa Suit. Um, ah. I mean, the author is just fabulous. Um, and, uh, I believe there are some family secrets in that book. So that's what I would recommend. But I mean, yeah, exactly. I had no idea. Um, that's so funny because I was actually saying on here, like we made the rule early on, like we're not going to pick each other's books for the reading challenge because Whoa. otherwise it'll just be us picking each other's books every single month. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm going to break the rule tonight because I'll be the only one. Um, I broke it first. But <laughs> I'm breaking it second and recommending The Sweetness of Forgetting Aww. Breakfast from Your Mouth because it really is, y'all. It's so good. I'm reading it right now. And um, I, yeah. I don't know how I missed it when it originally came out 10 years ago, but um, <laughs> it's wonderful. And I'm just, oh, something so big just yeah. happened. I want to text you like the whole time I'm reading it. And I'm like, <laughs> She's awesome. doing things. She's on tour. She's working. <laughs> oh, texting her about the book. <laughs> all, awesome. all, all of us have written stories with big family secrets. Like yes. Kate Christie, yes. uh, the Palmetto Bluff series yeah. is all Peach about. Tree. Yeah, family yeah, secrets. Yeah, yeah. Peachtree Bluff is all about a big family secret. And Patty, I'm thinking about what the sister, the favorite sister. Yeah, the favorite daughter. That was favorite a daughter. There's a secret. big family yeah. secret in that one. I think it's hard. It's hard to write a novel that, to me, that doesn't have a big family secret. Yeah, yeah. That's so often at the heart of just creating tense drama. I think. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. or, or it, it's so much built around who we think we are until yes. we find out this thing about. Yeah. But when I was thinking about this, besides all of your books with Family Secrets, I kept thinking about Kate Morton because she's one of my favorite authors. Oh, mine and, too, as uh, you know. Oh, I just, yeah. Kathy and I listen to them on audio and then text each other. And I just, she has a new one coming out next year, but The Distant Hours and The Forgotten Garden both have these oh, family, yeah. yeah, secrets in them that are, you find, you know, at the very beginning and then she just hooks you. She's a, she's a master at it. So I'll always say Kate Morton. Definitely agree. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned before, we're going to be doing Ask Us Anything later on. So drop us your questions uh, anytime you want. And before we begin, we really just wanted to mention, um, we know that so many people have suffered really serious damage from Hurricane Ian. And we can, we sincerely hope that everyone in our Friends and Fiction family is safe and well. Um, and unfortunately, we do know of one member of our Friends and Fiction family that is not safe and well, well, that is safe and well personally, which is always something to be grateful for. But um, our beloved Macintosh books on Sanibel Island um, sustained major, major damage and is going to have to be relocated. Yeah. Well, Rebecca Binkowski, the bookstore owner and her family and staff evacuated and they are physically safe. The bookstore took on several feet of water inside. The flood damage and subsequent trap moisture and mold has most likely rendered all of their inventory unsalvageable. Now, the connected walkways around the village shops of Sanibel Island 
are unstable, and the fear is that the buildings will be declared structurally unsound. Rebecca, and we're following Rebecca, if you don't, follow her on Instagram. But Rebecca has said that they will find an interim location to begin doing business as soon as they can and that they will ultimately rebuild. Meanwhile, they have a long and stressful road ahead of them. I cannot even imagine. And I try to imagine when I was reading her updates. And we all, the four of us did an event with them last summer. We all did something together with them. And they're just the most giving, loving booksellers. And they just serve their community. And to not only lose your house, because she's having to relocate her family too. Yeah, But then your life's work. I just, so we here at Friends and Fiction are determined to do all that we can to help. And we would love for you to join us. There are three very specific things we can do to support Macintosh right now. You can donate to their GoFundMe for shop relocation, which we are doing. Mm-hmm. You can buy gift cards on their store website to be saved for a future date when they're ready. Or you can shop in their online store on bookshop.org where orders will be filled ASAP. If you could find it in your heart to do one of those three things for Macintosh, we would be grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think Macintosh um, has been a family business of theirs for like 40 years, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's, it's not just reopening a business it's reopening something that really um means a lot to their family and to the community yeah. so and rebecca had, when, when rebecca um evacuated sanibel she took her her, her shop cat which so many of her oh, customers God. love brady the shop cat i mean i see all these posts about i hope you're okay but really we're worried about the cat <laughs> and the cat is fine right we're happy to report the cat yes, is fine. happy to report You know, we talk a lot on here about how indie bookstores are the lifeblood of our communities. They rise to the occasion when there's a need for a gift auction, donation for schools, youth sports, or a local charity. They're a gathering place, a cultural hub, a place to spark the imagination, share ideas, and feed our creative energies. They host authors like us from all over the country to expose locals and tourists alike to new books and all forms of storytelling. They pay taxes. They give back. Now we want to give back to this store that has been so good to each of us, to so many of our author friends, and to the book world in general. So again, you can find out more information on our Facebook and Instagram pages um, about how to help. And we hope you do. And you know, no, I think no donation is too small either. If you have $5 to help them, I think that would be appreciated. Or if you were going to order a book anyhow, um, you know, do it from their bookshop.org page and they'll get a, a percentage of, uh, of the proceeds. Meg said she is sharing the links right now on the comment right. thread if you'd like to see the links. Well... On to happier matters. Um, <laughs> and what we are so excited about tonight is celebrating 10 years of the sweetness of forgetting. Um, this new anniversary edition has oh, yeah. oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful cover. <laughs> it's got three new recipes, right? Yes, three new well, recipes. Sorry, I was well, busy. Kathy, you're my killing brain. me. You're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me. Kathy, could you please, before we get started with Kristen, could you please take a moment to tell our audience about your beret? <laughs> so, Killing me softly with your hat. Well, here's, 
Um, Kristen, you know, all of us, when we do, when we, when we want to really have a fun show, we all order stuff, headgear. And Kristen thoughtfully sent all of us berets for tonight, but I didn't get the, ins I didn't get the memo that it was for tonight. I thought it was for when we do the show for her next book. So I I left it behind, and and I am coming to you live. If you haven't noticed, the ambiance. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It looks like something died on the back wall. I it's know. Like I'm a... coming to you from. I. It's sort of like a. Uh, I I think I. What did I tell you guys? It looked like like a juvie hall, <laughs> like a detention hall, like an upscale uh, halfway house. Halfway, halfway house. house yeah. I believe what you said. Yes. Well, on Interstate seventy five because. My husband, Tom and I are headed down to St. Pete for a, our high school reunion. So I, I didn't know to bring that. But Tom very thoughtfully packed my ice pack. <laughs> I, I can't. I'm, I'm just not going to have to look. It's the right color. I mean, come on. It looks I really good. Look. I'm just going to have to look. a little bit bigger, whatever this is. I, 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 I can't even. I can't. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look only at Kristen and Christy or Chloe. Right, no. Talking about the sweetness of forgetting the <laughs> okay. anniversary. All Come right, on. Kristen, yes. Before I completely lose control of the room, <laughs> let's sell some booking. Let's sell some bugs. Let's so sell some you, you you might know this drill. You might have heard this question before. But can you tell us what the sweetness of forgetting is about? And then can you tell us what it's really about? Really about. What a surprise. Um, no, th th first I have to say thank you guys so much for um, for talking about this book tonight. I really appreciate it. I don't think I've said that to you because I've been uh, just so busy in this last week. My head's going like a million different directions. But thank you guys. I, I do appreciate you doing this. We're so and, excited and for it. Thank, thank you. That's really nice. Well, so The Sweetness of Forgetting is my first World War II novel. Um, it came out 10 years ago, which means I wrote it about 12 years ago. It's a really weird feeling to be back on the road talking about something that I wrote so long ago. Um, but it, it, it's, it's just such a neat, a, a neat thing, but you didn't ask me that you asked me what it was about. And what it is about is a Cape Cod bakery owner um, named Hope who discovers that her grandmother Rose, who now has dementia um, and who she is kind of losing very slowly to that dementia actually has a secret past buried in Holocaust era Paris. Um, and it's a past that Hope knew nothing about. And so she sets off on a journey to Paris to discover her grandmother's secrets. And what she finds, what she uncovers in Paris kind of changes everything about the present. So that is the sweetness of forgetting. Um, it is set in the present day in Cape Cod and in the past in Paris. And as for what it's really about, you know, um, the story at the core of the novel is about um, some different religious traditions working together in sort of a dark time to save people. And I think that became that became the core of what I write about when I write about World War II, if that makes sense. So I think it's a story about um, about how our family traditions are passed down, but not always through words. We don't always tell our family stories. And um and uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I think it's a story just about um, connecting the dots of the past to be able to move forward into the future. Well, and family stories are what define us, whether we know the stories yeah. or the stories are made up or whether the stories are hidden from us. 
They make us who we are. So I love a good, oh, back to family secrets. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I want you to talk to us about what, you know, I love talking about this, the origin story, like what inspired it? Because you had made a switch. You had been writing Chicklet. This was your first historical World War II novel. So I want you to talk about what inspired it. I know it had to do with, um, I think, a Holocaust survivor and even your grandmother. So I want to hear about it. Yeah. You know, so I I was writing what was called at the time Chicklet. I mean, that's what it was referred to at the time. Those stories like the Nanny Diaries, the Devil Wears Prada, those books. Um, And I just, it, it didn't fit. It wasn't, it wasn't what I was meant to be doing. Like it just wasn't a fit for me. Um, and I had lived in Paris in my early twenties and I had been astounded while living in Paris, how little Holocaust history I knew about that city and about France. Um, and it just felt, it felt like a story I wanted to tell, but I wasn't ready to tell it yet. So I started my career writing these chiclet novels. Um, and then I think fate kind of kept steering me that way. And while I was writing these chiclet novels, I was also writing for People Magazine. And my favorite story that I ever wrote for people, I mean, I I did so many neat things while I was writing for people, so many cool celebrity things and all of that. But the most meaningful one I did was um, an interview with this man named Henry Landworth, who had founded an organization called Give Kids the World. So Henry was a Holocaust survivor. And and some of the things he said to me in our conversation, I think really stuck. But one of the primary things I think that really lodged itself in my head and in my heart was that in order to survive in concentration camps, he had to learn to turn his emotions off. And when the war was over, um, he didn't know how to feel again. He didn't know how to feel after that. For the rest of his life, he couldn't access his emotions um, in in the way that we all take for granted. And that was so meaningful to me. And it, it just stayed with me. And I think that became the core of the Rose character in the novel, the grandmother in the novel. So that was a piece of it. And then my own grandmother, had dementia while I was writing this book. We were losing her to Alzheimer's. Um, And so that kind of became a piece of the story too. It became a very personal piece of the story. And you have recipes too, right? Aren't there three new recipes? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the book um, started with a bunch of recipes every, so the, I think that the structure of the book is two chapters from Hope's viewpoint and one from Rose's viewpoint. Rose is the grandmother. And so the family owns a bakery and it turns out that the bakery. That is the structure, by the way. Thank you. I am (laughs) like, I've read it a while. Thanks. Thank you. Um, So the, A lot of the family traditions have been passed down through this tradition of baking. So I wanted readers to be able to taste what we were talking about in the novel. So I wrote all of these recipes, um, which took a lot of taste testing around Paris, which, as you can imagine, was a real challenge. You know, you know, the things we do for our art, ladies. Right. I mean, it's it's a struggle. Um, I think we should have a party and bake everything in the book. Wouldn't that be so much fun? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. We're going to we're going to Kathy's house in Tybee and doing that. Yeah, we're baking. Great. We're going <laughs> to go to Kathy's house in Tybee and let her bake all the recipes, and we'll drink wine and watch her. Oh, that's an we'll even better food. idea. I, like I have a couple of baker, I have a couple of baker friends, professional baker. I think friends. we have some baker hats too. From yeah, what I we do. <laughs> One of us has way more baker hats than we'd planned on having. <laughs> That's hysterical. Um, 
Yeah, but for this book, I wrote three new recipes because there are a lot of baked goods in the novel that um, that I didn't have recipes for. And I thought, what can I do that's fun, that's different for this up for this updated awesome. version? Um, and so I created three new ones. Yep. Okay, but you need to you need to um, specify that the new recipes are in the tenth anniversary. Edition. Yes, that's such a good point. Yeah, this is the addition to get the one that looks like this, the old not one, not the one. purple. Yeah, not the, the one that looks one that like looks she's like walking into a building called Patty. Called mm-hmm. Patty. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's a pat pat patis. Well, it's a patisserie, but it, it's a patty herby or something. Patty right? patisserie. No, it's a patisserie. Yes. <laughs> Which is hilarious because we all know. Well, those of us who know her and love her really well know that. <laughs> Our patisserie patty is gluten intolerant and cannot go into a normal bake or pronounce anything in another language. <laughs> oh, no, no. That's where I no, thought no, you were going with no, that. No, I was yeah. going to say, no, you can't. No. I can't have the scones or the cookies or any <laughs> or the other. Croissant. No. no croissants. No for but you. But you no. can have ma- macaron. You can have macaron. I can have right. macaron. Yes. Yeah. It does yeah. like a macaron, I happen to yeah. know. Yes. Yeah. And I like a lot of them. Like, I, I don't just get one little Mac. Like, why, would you? why even bother? Why no. bother? Exactly. Okay. Now, I know this is a minor spoiler, but there is a story at the center of the novel that involves the Grand Mosque of Paris, which was really surprising to me personally. I never knew anything about Muslims helping Jews across Europe. Yeah. And that feels like such an important thing yeah. to know, especially... Uh, in today's world. Would you talk a little bit about that and why it felt so important for you to include 10 years ago even? Yeah, you know, I I was already writing the book when I came across that piece of information that the Grand Mosque of Paris, which was the Muslim center of Paris, actually helped save around a thousand Jewish lives during World War II, which is, it's, it's amazing. And they worked with Christian organizations to do that. So it was those three religious traditions or uh, religious backgrounds working together. And it's such an amazing thing to think about because I think we think of particularly, um, conflicts today between like the Muslim world and the Jewish world, right? Like in, in some cases. And it's amazing to think of a time when there was so much darkness and so many terrible things going on that differences were put aside and they just came together to help their fellow man. I, I think that's um yeah. really meaningful. But I had already started the book. This was not supposed to be the center of the book. And I came across that information um, in Paris while researching this. And it just, it just clicked. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is what the book has to center around. Um, and I think it's more meaningful than ever just to think about, you know, yeah. it, it, the world is so divided today, but it doesn't have to be, you know? Yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah. Doesn't. Um, it does not. You are absolutely completely right. I have a question for you, obviously, yeah. but I also... Um, I wanted to read this comment first that you really need to hear from our our girl, Susan Schwartz-Seligman. Uh-huh. She said, I think I read The Sweetness of Forgetting way before I knew you from Friends and Fictions. Uh-huh. Same from the, Rue, the Room on Rue Amelie, which let me just pause. Well, I'll tell you this after. The Room on Rue Amelie <laughs> and The Winemaker's Wife. Loved your books then, and I love them and you even more now. Thank you for oh, these thanks. well worth stories. Thanks. Thank Please you, Susan. Me. Thank you. I was going to tell you that um, my first book with Gallery, 
So, or no, maybe it was the secret to Southern charm was when the room on Rue Amelie was coming out and I wanted to recommend it. So it was, you know, we go to the publishing houses and sometimes we'll do like videos and, you know, yeah. that are talking about our books and whatever. And so one of the things they asked me for one of the videos was like, what books would you recommend? And I was trying to recommend the room on Rue Amelie. And <laughs> Abby, Kristen's editor was there and like, I couldn't say it. And we kept having to like cut, cut, do it again. But finally, that's probably not how you say it. I'm probably saying it wrong now. No, that's right. You're saying it right. right. Yeah, but thank you. That's so nice. Thank you for recommending it. It was so funny. The room on Rue. Say it again. Say it again. The room on Rue Amelie. (laughs) Rue Amelie, Um, yep. Yes. But this book, Kristen, was a huge bestseller when it came out all across Europe and really your first big bestseller. So can you talk about what that was like for you, like just making that that jump? Yeah. You know, um, it's funny because it was a number two bestseller in a lot of places, in almost every place, uh, because it came out the same week as... Um, I think the sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey. So I was so it was I was like, get out of my way, E. L. James or whatever her name was. Yeah, isn't that funny? So I like That's I followed funny. her all around the world. But um, yeah, it it, it really was um it was a big change for me. Um, you know, I think partially because uh, when I pitched the idea for this book, I was told I couldn't do it. I wrote I wrote Chicklet. I wrote women's fiction. Um, and I, I was told, we don't believe that that is something you're capable of. Um, and so to have the book do that well after taking a leap, basically, like I, I had to leave my editor at the time, my, the publishing house I was with, I had to leave my agents at the time. I had to basically start over from scratch. And then to have it have that kind of reception um, was really amazing. Like it, it really changed my life. And, and it was a, a while before um, before I had that kind of success here in the States, but that it it, um, it, I think it showed me that if I followed my heart, um, then I was on the right path. If, does that make sense? Yeah. It was like a, it was awesome. like a good life, a good, the beginning of a good life lesson, I will say. <laughs> That's amazing. So are you going to be on the road talking about this book and specifically, can you tell us where to get signed copies and copies at all, but, but really signed copies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can find it pretty much anywhere. Books are sold. Most places books are sold. Um, but, uh, there are signed copies available at writer's block in Orlando, which is my local bookstore and at our favorite Oxford exchange. In Tampa. I stopped Oxford in, exchange. I know I love them. I stopped in the other day. I did a TV appearance in Tampa on, um, Monday morning and stopped in and signed books on my way out of town. So signed copies there. Um, you can pretty much find them at any independent store, bookshop.org. We encourage you to shop specifically that Macintosh books um, page from bookshop.org. And then, you know, the usual Walmart, BJ's, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those. So yeah. Thanks. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're really excited and the cover is so beautiful and nice. I might wear this beret all winter. I know. I love that, right? <laughs> it's like, kind but of I can't talk about Christmas too. in this beret. So I can't find my Santa hat. I can. So MK, <laughs> right now. Hey, so thank, MKA, you, thank you guys for doing that talk about sweetness. I appreciate it. No, oh, thank so you. Fun. We're so excited about it. So sweet. So Kathy, Mary Kay. Yes. yes. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> okay. Wow. I, oh, you just need so to adjust us episode. If we had a guest, that would have been horrible. They might have brutal, brutal, yeah. brutal. I, I, there's nothing I could have done. <laughs> so, 
Your paperback. I think about that about newscasters all the time. Like you can suppress a yawn or a hiccup, but what are you going to do? And I have like big sneezes. Mm. All right. MK, I want to talk about the Santa suit. So it was your runaway, literally New York Times bestseller. It was on the list for over a month. And for those of you who haven't read the Santa suit, I can't imagine to be (laughs) TBH. But if you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, in this book, Ivy Perkins, my protagonist, is recovering from betrayal and divorce. And she impulsively, and she's never done anything impulsively before, decides to buy a white farmhouse in the mountains of North Carolina. Now, this is a house that she's seen online and has never stepped foot inside of, but she buys it on impulse. And she and her dog, Pumpkin, Pumpkin Perkins, um, <laughs> you know me and my alliteration. alliteration. <laughs> uh, they arrive in the town of Tarburton, North Carolina, in the mountains of North Carolina, like the week before Christmas. And she discovers that the farmhouse that she's bought, Four Roses Farm, comes with a Christmassy history and she finds an old Santa suit up in the attic and it has a backstory and you know there's some romance there's a little bit of love little magic magic. there's a little bit of magic there's some magic in that old Santa suit (laughs) and that's kind of what what happens in the Santa suit Oh, it's so good. I can't wait for so many new readers to discover it. It's, it's so, such a good book. Yeah. So, Mary Kay, you've had several Christmas books and a Hallmark movie. Um, what is it that you love so much about this genre? You know, the one thing I promise my readers is that I'm going to give them a happy ending. And I'm hopefully I'm going to make them laugh. Maybe I'll make them cry. Yeah. Just because I can. <laughs> um and as you all know, um, because you were in on it, I wrote the Santa suit in secret yeah. during some of the darkest months of the pandemic. And I think during that time when I was writing in the dark, literally at 7 a.m. in the morning and texting you all, wake up, write the book, damn it. We're trying. We're trying. I know. I would text them, wake up, wake, wake up, write the book. <laughs> Um, my resolve to write a happy, heartwarming story, I think, was stronger than ever during that yeah. time. Yeah, that that's really awesome. comes across. Yeah. But that's, you know, enough about me and the Santa. Enough <laughs> about me. Enough about you. Buy the book. Damn it. No, I should have written, I should have worn one of my um, Buy the Book Damn It t shirts, but I didn't. Yes. I didn't even bring my real beret. Okay. (laughs) But before we dive into our next part of the show, in which we hope that we nag you, I mean, inspire you. Inspire. Inspire. Inspire you to pre-order all of our new books. I hope that you all know that we have a new, this year, a new Friends in Fiction first edition box, which is available now from our friends at the Indie Bookstore Booktown Booktown with an E in Manasquan, New Jersey. And it features signed hardback first editions from all of us and our 2023 
novels and a friends in fiction kitchen towel that says dinner can wait it's time for friends in fiction so cute you can so cute. order our 2020 are we calling this 2022 or 2023 2020 it's just 2020. a first subscription box yeah we're this year's you can order this year's subscription box right now at booktown with an e on the end dot com and um, as the first book that comes down the chute is Patty's, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're right. excited. This book comes out. You'll get the sign book. You'll get the gift, the the um, kitchen towel, and and then you'll make us super happy. <laughs> and you'll be part of like a super cool, like the only way you can get that cool towel. Yes. Is, uh, Exactly. I want like 10 of them, but whatever. And who doesn't want to be part of the inner circle? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's doing that. that happen, Patty. Yeah. <laughs> Meet me in the back so, room after. <laughs> yeah. So Mary Kay, I think that say. is... Exactly, right? So I think that is the perfect lead-in to our chat about our new books. Um, Kathy, we know you have a tip-top <laughs> secret project you've been working on. Can you tell us about said secret project? Any details you can reveal? Uh, yeah, I know the title, but we're not ready to announce it just yet. Um, I can tell you that the book starts in the same mountain town in North Carolina as the Santa suit. And then the qu action quickly switches to a big city up north. The thinking, 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 thinking. Yeah. Thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, the protagonist, Carrie, her family owns a Christmas tree farm in uh, Tarburton. And after her father suffers a heart attack, Carrie literally gets guilt tripped into living in a tiny tin can camper with her somewhat estranged brother, Murphy, while they sell Christmas trees on a street corner in a big city <laughs> up north. <laughs> I cannot wait to read it. So <laughs> so I can't wait to finish writing it. So secretive. That's always fun. Yeah. Well, so Patty, we were so excited to hear about your idea for the secret book of Floralia. I actually was thinking about this today. Um, I remember we were all in Tybee and it was raining and we were at this bar in Tybee and someone had just paid for our drinks like randomly. I remember that. That was so was. sweet. That? Yeah. So nice. So whoever you are out there, thank you for if that. If you're out there. <laughs> and I got in the car with you and you were like, okay, do you want to hear about the new book? And I was like, yes. And I was like, oh, so good. So now um, I feel like we all have such a stake in each other's work and writing. And oh, we do. Yeah. As we like watch them unfold. Um, and this one is a beauty. Um, I have it right here. I can't wait to start it. But you mentioned, you've mentioned briefly before what it's about, but could you tell us a little bit now, please? Again. I can. And, uh, you know, all of you were there at the very beginning. In fact, um, when I first told Mary Kay we were riding up in the mountains and I told her this story and I said, I really need these woodlands that are magical and they're a fairy tale. I haven't found a name yet, but I want it to be a secret that they whisper about and I want it to be a forest and woodlands. And she just very calmly said, Whisperwood. I was like, damn, <laughs> nailed it. So yeah. what the book is about 
are two sisters who I am madly in love with. They are probably more alive to me than almost any characters I've ever written about. Um, they are 14-year-old and 5-year-old, 14-year-old Hazel and 5-year-old Flora. They are two sisters who are evacuated from London during World War II's Operation Pied Piper. And I'll be telling you a lot more about that in time. But to keep Flora calm in this home that they've been billeted in, Hazel makes up a fairy tale world called Whisperwood. It's a place they escape to in their imaginations. They grow the story at night when they're telling bedtime stories. And in this world, they can be anything they want to be. They can be an eagle, a rabbit, a bunny, uh, which is the same thing. They can be anything they want to be in this world. A rabbit or a bunny. <laughs> a rabbit or, well, they're actually not the same thing, but yes. So they play in the woodlands around the stone cottage where they live and Whisperwood is their secret. Nobody knows about it. But a year later, during the Blitz, Flora, who is now six years old, disappears. And Hazel believes with great guilt that Flora ran off to find Whisperwood and that it's her fault. Flora is never found. And then 20 years later, Hazel is working in an antiquarian bookshop in London when a fairy tale book with original drawings shows up in the back room written by an American author. And the title of the book is Whisperwood. Yay! I read it. And I just have to say also, I've read it. It is amazing. And even hearing you talk about it again, even knowing that twist is coming, I just yeah. get these bumps. It's such a good book. Thank Aww, you. Good book. Yeah. I love that. Um, what's it really about? I think, you know what's so interesting? I don't know about y'all. I want to hear y'all's opinion. But I know what I think it's really about right now. But what is so fascinating is that after the book is in the world and readers get their hands on it, they also tell you what it's really about. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So right now, what it's really about for me and what it was about when I was writing it is the power of story, the bond of sisterhood, and this kind of unrelenting perseverance of hope that we keep. Um, even when everybody else tells us that it's not, it's not worth hoping for, um, that we, there's this, this, this thing inside of us that, that perseveres in hope. And I, I, I wanted to write a lot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't wait to read it. Well, um, Patty, you like Kristen made a little bit of a genre shift over the past few years. And so what is it about historical fiction that inspires you? What it is about historical fiction that inspires me. Um, I think the number one thing is, well, I've always loved research. Even when I was a nurse, I was a research nurse, but I love finding that one fact or lost piece of information that flips the story you think you know on its head or flips the novel I think I'm writing on its head. Like Kristen just talked about the mosque, right? You think you're writing this very particular story, but while you're doing the research, something flips yeah. it for you. And I really love that. And I love like, like Kristen and both of you have had elements of history in your books bringing back those voices is often really important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Kristen. Yeah. You're back in the hot seat. 
All of us just got our advanced copies of The Paris Daughter, and they are gorgeous. gorgeous. And I am, I am promised that we will have another opportunity to wear our berets. <laughs> yes. Tell us it about matches the cover. It does. It does. It's like she branded. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, the, the sky is kind of water bottle blue. I like it. <laughs> water, water uh, yeah. Ice bottle. I what do you call ice. those? I would ask hot, hot water bottle. Right yeah, I would. No, this is an ice pack bottle. Oh, okay. Right. I would ask you what inspired you to go back to Paris with this one, but we already know the answer to that. She just loves Paris. And live there. Yeah. And I do. You live do. there. <laughs> but tell us all about this new book. Yeah. So the Paris daughter um, is the story of two mothers, two daughters, an allied bomb that falls where it shouldn't in the suburbs of Paris during World War II, two families torn apart forever, mysteries left unanswered in the past um, after this terrible explosion in 1943, and then a storyline that picks up in 1960 in New York when a chance meeting sets the two mothers on a collision course with each other um, and promises to bring about the answers to questions that were asked and never answered 17 years ago um, and questions that have shaped the course of the lives of these two women who have um, kind of hurtled on without knowing what really happened that day. So that was not a very good description, but that's kind of oh, what it's it was about. Great. That, was that, was great. Great. that was a like I'm hooked and I I'm know in. about it. I'm, I'm, I'm just over here wishing that you would write summaries of every book I've ever written. That <laughs> I know. Yes. That's like a total elevator pitch thing. Oh, thanks. I, I've been feeling like I don't have my pitch down oh, yet, but you thank got, you. I appreciate you that. You've got it down. That's I'm gonna, we're going to go back and rework our pitches, Mary Kay. Got it? <laughs> That's a total I don't story. have one. So Y'all are a step ahead of me. I'm like, what okay, am well, I going to Maybe say? Kristen will give you one. <laughs> yeah. we, have, we have six or seven months to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Christy, you are, well, let me say this before we put you in the hot seat, Miss Christy. I have read The Paris Daughter, and it is astounding, and if you think you know what's going to happen, you don't, and um, it's beautiful, and it'll make you cry, and I'm sick of that, but it is. <laughs> so, Christy, the summer of Songbirds is up. Tell us a little bit about this one. And you're not going to get away without saying what it's about and what it's really about. Okay. Um, well, The Summer of Songbirds is about three best friends, Daphne Lanier and Mary Stewart, who met at summer camp when they were six years old in the songbird cabin. Spoiler alert. That's where <laughs> songbirds comes from. Um, and from the time that they are children, they have done something every single week where they put together these lists and they do each other's hard things, like the things that um, feel really hard to one of them, but feel really easy to the other one. So fast forward and they're grownups and um, Daphne is an attorney and she finds out something um, about Lanier's fiance that is highly illegal, but also protected by attorney client privilege. And she has to decide whether she is going to um, tell Lanier and possibly get disbarred. She's a single mother. So her, her career is very important, you know, for a number of reasons. Um, 
or whether she's going to let this woman who is her very best friend and has been more like a sister to her and done things for her that you find out on the book that are far beyond where most friendships go. Um, but she's going to let her marry this man knowing what she knows about him. And so um, it's sort of the hard thing that no one can do for her or choose for her. Um, but Lanier also has some secrets of her own that Daphne does not know about. And when they perhaps or perhaps not come out in the book, it could change the way that Daphne feels about the entire situation. But at the same time, um, Daphne's aunt June realizes that she is not going to be able to keep Camp Holly Springs open anymore after a couple of really difficult summers. And so the women sort of have to put all their other problems aside to band together to try to save this place that changed all of their lives. It's amazing. What it's really about, um, you know, you should be able to answer the question when you know it's coming, but I feel like it's so <laughs> fresh that I'm like, what is it really about? Well, sometimes, um, like I said, it has to be in the world before you like. Yeah. Yeah. So one yeah, of the things that I really think it's about is the ways in which we become our mothers yeah. And the ways oh. in which we don't, um, each of them has like a little bit of that in their storyline about how they, um, you know, for, for better and worse, like how we kind of turn into, you know, the examples that we have in our lives, not just our mothers necessarily, but we turn into the, the examples that we have in our lives or how we kind of like fight against that and how that yeah. shapes us as human beings. So that's a really important one. But, um, I think also how we cope with loss and how we move forward. There's a lot of that in this book about, um, you know, losses that happened at different stages of people's lives and how um, sometimes we hide from them and sometimes um, we face them head on and, and really what that looks yeah. like. But I can't wait for everyone to tell me what it's yeah. about. What it's about. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it yeah. sounds so good, Christy. I cannot wait to read it. Thanks. So why like summer it. camp? Because we, we, we all, I mean, I think all of you out there know we're constantly talking to each other. I think I might want to write about this. I might dive into this. But you knew, like, I want to write about a summer camp. Yes. And you never wavered. So why summer camp? Yeah. Well, I loved camp, first of all. So that's just, like, thing number one. But I also, I do want to point out, like, if you didn't like camp or you didn't go to camp, it's a book about camp, but it's not a book about camp, if that makes yeah, sense. Friendship like, and moms. And, yeah, yeah, and it's those like yeah. whatever that thing was for you in your childhood summers that becomes that like touchstone of your life, like that's sort of what it is. So whether it's your family vacation or um that, you know, special like meal that you had with your grandmother, you know, whatever it is, it's just about that touchstone in your childhood that kind of changed who you were. Um, but I my family went to family camp um during the pandemic. It was like the middle of COVID and um, our son was supposed to be at camp and of course camp was canceled, but they were able to put this family camp together. And, um, we were at this, uh, we were at camp Seagull or camp. We we're actually camp Seafair, um, for family camp in North Carolina, which people come from all over the country to go to. And it's been there forever. And I just remember texting them or not even texting you. Cause there was no Wi-Fi. I think I was able to like get on ethernet and do our show. And I was like, y'all, these walls could talk. Like there's a book, here. there's a book here. <laughs> My son um, went to camp Seagull. Did it? How have we not talked about this? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Thomas went to Camp Seagull. That's so that's funny. amazing. All right. Keep going. Well, I feel like I've talked about this a lot. So we're going to move on to the lightning round, which is we're not very fast, but we are going <laughs> to okay? We're going to do our best. We're going to do our dead level best. So um, what was the initial spark for this book, ladies? Kathy? Oh, so uh, the initial spark for the top secret uh, project um, was a story I read years ago in the New York Times 
about people who set up uh, Christmas tree stands um, in neighborhoods in an unnamed big city and lived and lived like in RVs and trailers while they sold trees. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, um, so at the core of the story, it's about mothers, mothers making decisions about their children and, and how those decisions reverberate. And I think part of the idea for the book, maybe the initial seed came from the decisions we had to make during COVID all of us mm -hmm. for our families right. and realizing that there were no good decisions that, that you were only choosing from amongst the worst. I, I mean, like the best of the worst decisions sort of, you know what I mean? Um, and so I thought, what if that was magnified, but you know, so many times over and you put these women in the midst of a war and they have to make decisions for their children where there's no right answer um, and where things could go terribly wrong. So that was kind of the seed of the idea, I think. Ah, mm. What a spark. Yeah. yeah what a spark. Um, Mine, I sort of told you, but also um, I was with two friends and when we were at camp and one of them is like a, a super expert sailor and she took us out on the sailboat and everyone was joking because there weren't enough radios, but they were like, well, she doesn't need a radio. Like she'll never get stuck. And we got stuck on the sailboat <laughs> um, and no, we had no radios, no phones, nothing. And we were like, okay, well, we're all going to die. This is great. <laughs> Here we go. I mean, we knew, we, we knew someone would eventually notice we were gone. Um, but while we were there, we sat and we uh, told all these great camp stories. And she had such a good camp story about a sailboat rescue previously in her life. And I was like, I have to write a book about this. And she was like, do it. <laughs> Go. And it's kind of That's like this awesome story. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Turn right, lemons yeah. into lemonade, baby. Yeah. What about you, Patty? So when I was writing Once Upon a Wardrobe, um, one of the scenes was during Operation Pied Piper, which is the operation where they sent all the children out of the big cities in England during World War II and sent them to the country or to America or to Canada. But they got they got them out of the country. It was mass evacuation. Millions of children were sent away. And I thought, what the what? Operation Pied Piper? The Pied <laughs> Piper is a German, of all things, legend about a creepy guy who plays a flute <laughs> in a multicolored outfit and lures children out of the city to drown in the river. So I, I just, uh, you know, all of us start from these moments of curiosity. And my curiosity was, why would they name that Operation Pied Piper, a German legend about a creepy piper who drowns children? I and thought the other whole one was rats. First rats. So the Pied Piper got all the rats out of the city and the mayor didn't pay him. <gasps> and so he got mad. And because the mayor didn't pay him, he lured the children out of the city and they disappeared. In oh. most of the, you know how legends switch. Grimm's yeah. has one style, whatever. But in all of them, they disappear. And in most of them, they drown in the river Wyvern, which is a German river. So it just got me thinking about this is an operation that's supposed to keep children safe, but what if it didn't? And I just yeah. kind of spooled that out. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, next up in our lightning round, <laughs> who, who is your favorite character in this novel and why? And Kristen, you're up. Yeah. So in the Paris daughter, it's probably Elise, which is one of the two main mothers. Um, she's the one who has to make the most difficult choice in the novel. 
but even after she's made the most difficult choice, um, she has, she has the feeling that she has to continue helping people. So even in the midst of her own grief, even when she's broken, um, she still presses ahead and tries her hardest to do the right thing. So I, I just, I liked her moral code. <laughs> I love that. Um, How about you, Christy? Rich McNabb. I don't really need to say anything else. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> Rich McNabb. I think he's my favorite character too. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, as as Lanier in the book says, he's a hot dork, and that's the best kind of man that there could possibly that's be. Awesome. Love it. Mine is Flora, six-year-old Flora. Most decidedly, absolutely. I feel you, you guys know I just went on that trip to, to England and I swear to you, I could imagine her everywhere. I yeah. she I just love that little girl. Yeah. So. Well, mine would have to be a six-year-old little boy named Austin, um, who might be slightly inspired by Kristen's son, Noah. Is he really? Is he really? Well, some of the things he says and and does, you know how I'm always asking you these leading questions? I asked you about what is Noah interested in the other day? And you're like, dragons? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And here I just thought you were interested in my life, Kathy. I'm a little hurt. Right <laughs> just use no, it. Using it. For, no, I'm just joking. You know Nora Ephron's mother said it's all material. Every, all everything material. is copy. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Kathy, that's really sweet. I am so excited to read the book, but now I'm even more excited. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm excited to finish writing it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay. No spoilers, ladies, but do you each have a um, a favorite quote you can read us from your upcoming novel, a little sneak peek for everyone out there watching. Christy, do you have something you can read? This really doesn't have anything to do with the book, but I just love this quote. Um, and I think it's appropriate for tonight. It's, um, don't most really great things get off the ground in the back of a bookstore with a few passionate people? <laughs> oh, there that. you go. That's awesome. <laughs> How about you, Patty? Um, I'm not sure if it's a favorite quote, but... Um, the opening line of chapter two, I thought was fun um, because it gets everything rolling. It says, until Hazel untied the frayed red velvet ribbon on the parchment bound portfolio, her last day at Hogan's Rare Bookshop in London was as ordinary as any work day spent organizing, sorting and protecting the store's remarkable inventory. And what I love, number one, I named it Hogan's Bookshop after Kathy Hogan Trocheck because she came up with Whisperwood. Aww. But um, I love it says until, like it's a perfectly normal day until she unties the frayed yeah, red velvet I love that. And I'm just going to let you skip ahead because I'm still working and I don't have any quotes. Okay. So let's go right <laughs> to Kristen Harp. <laughs> But mine, I don't know if I would call it a favorite quote, but um, it's just a couple of sentences. I already told you that this um, bombs fall where they shouldn't in the suburbs of Paris. And this is the end of one of the chapters. In the instant that existed between light and dark, between life and death, between the before and the after, the roar grew deafening. The flash of light eclipsed everything. And Juliet's bones felt as though they'd been reduced to dust as the world around her disappeared. Oh. So... um. That was, um, yeah, that was the, the, the chapter that follows that, which is about 
what has happened to the bookstore that she was in um, was the most difficult in the book to write. Mm. Well, you guys, this has been so great. And as usual, we're like running out of time. Um, I thought we were going to have all this time for live questions and we totally don't, but we're going to save them and we're going to get to them in like future shows because we've got some really good ones coming in and a couple of really good ones like already in the script. So we will work them in in the next few weeks. Um, But we just wanted to remind you to support your independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is we'll ask you tonight to visit Macintosh Books' bookshop.org. Books's Macintosh Books's bookshop.org, <laughs> where you can buy books by the four of us, including Kristen's 10th anniversary edition of The Sweetness of Forgetting, Forgetting the paperback of the Santa Suit, and pre orders of our new releases and books by all of our guests at a discount. And just a reminder that we are going to be going back on the road together next year. Um, In 2023, we will do at least four Friends in Fiction live events, one during each of our book tours. So stay tuned for news about those four events so you can mark your calendars and make your travel plans to join us as we take our show on the road in May, June, July, and the fall. And also, I believe in April. And April. Super fun. April too. Great. April, May, June, July, and the fall. Basically, wherever you go, we'll probably be there. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that you know about our Writer's Block podcast because y'all, they have been so amazing lately. And I mean, they always were, but my goodness. So we will post links under announcements on the Facebook page every time a new one drops on Friday. On the most recent episode, Ron and Kristen talked to Ruth Ware about her new novel, The It Girl. I cannot walk into a bookstore without seeing that book. It's yeah, always it. right in the front. The It book. Yep. And this week, Ron talks to Kristen about the sweetness of forgetting. So listen, review, subscribe, all the things. Yeah. And now, um, before we leave you tonight, did you know that at Friends and Fiction, we are on Fable? All you have to do is read along to read along with us is download the Fable app and join our premium club full of behind the scenes info that you won't get anywhere else. It's just $5 a month to join our club. I mean, $5 to join the cool girls club. That's not much. (laughs) No, it's it's stuff you won't get anywhere else. And, but if you haven't joined yet, just download the Fable app and take advantage of the 14-day free trial Fable. That free trial <laughs> that Fable is offering right now. And you can learn more at fable.co backslash friends and spelled out and fiction. Um, I did want to say before we leave, I'm sorry that I've been like doing this all night, but I left my window open and there's this like little gnat and he's like all over me. He's like on my face. He's like he's no. all over me. So I'm sorry. I don't see what do newscasters do about that? They just let like a little gnat be on their cheek, I guess. <laughs> um, but you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube, which why would you want to miss any? <laughs> We are live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. And if you subscribe and hit the little bell, you won't miss a thing. So be sure to come back right here next week. Same time, same place when we welcome Veronica Roth. Good night, everybody. And Gabrielle Zevin. And And Gabrielle Zevin. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. 
Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.